Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Spoon Mob Pod. My name is Ray. I am your host. On today's episode, going to be talking about uh, mercantile dining and provision. It's uh, a restaurant out in Denver. It's actually in like the heart of downtown. Um, it's in the one end of the Union Station, which is where the I mean, basically the underground train system runs. And you can actually get from the airport in Denver, which is not really in Denver. It's like uh, about 40 minutes by car outside of Denver uh, in the middle of a giant like field. There's like nothing around it. The airport actually used to be down in downtown, but then they wound up building a new one um, out. So they have, you know, more space. It's a hub. Uh, I think it's one of United's hubs. So that was years ago and they still have the, uh, the old air traffic control tower is like in the downtown uh, section where the first airport was. It's on the south side of downtown, a little bit south. And they turned that into, I think it was like Punchbowl Social, which is kind of like this, it's like bar, like kind of game concept, but like newer. It's not like arcade games, but it's like there's like bowling in there and there's like cornhole and it's like all this kind of stuff. Um that you see kind of popping up and it's all consolidated into one place. I'm pretty sure that's what opened there. Uh, I don't know if that's still open because of COVID or what have you, but um, yeah. So anyways, back to um, mercantile. So that's, like I said, in the union station, which is right downtown to stones throw away from uh, the river um, that kind of splits downtown into half. And they have a bunch of different acronyms for the downtown area. There's like Lodi, uh, high die, which is like lower downtown and there's like higher upper downtown and uh, a whole bunch of stuff. But uh, this restaurant opened back in 2014. It's actually the second restaurant from uh, chef Alex Seidel, who he's popped up on a few things, couple recent seasons of uh, top chef. He won the James Beard award for best chef Southwest back in 2018. Uh, his first restaurant is fruition and then he also has uh, Shook, which is like this, and a lot of chefs seem to be doing this. It's basically like a fast casual chicken sandwich place. Like Sean Brock's got one called Joyland that's in Nashville. David Chang's got Fuku, which is kind of all over the place um, in a bunch of different cities. And then there's new Fukus, which are operating out of ghost kitchens um, instead of having standalone. So. It's kind of like the one thing it seems like if you open a restaurant, a couple restaurants, like the next thing is to pivot to kind of fast casual. And I got to imagine we'll see more of that too as we kind of get out of the pandemic, whenever that is um, with cases and everything spiking kind of right now. I think uh, at the time of this recording, I don't know exactly when that is, but whenever that does happen, it seems like there'll be a concentrated effort to pivot to more kind of grab and go you know, almost fast food kind of um, restaurants and stuff for some of these chefs. So, but Seidel, he was born um, back in 1973. He's actually a native of Wisconsin. And he really started like most chefs, dishwasher, as soon as he was able to work at age 14, uh, was working at a local restaurant. And, you know, from there, he just kind of fell in love with the hospitality and culinary industries. So, uh, he wound up um, becoming a sous chef at the age of 20 at this place called Racine's Main Street Bistro, which was in uh, Racine, Wisconsin there. 
and he didn't go to college or anything. He, he skipped all that. Uh, he actually went to the Western Culinary Institute in Portland, Oregon. Um, that's like a mid, it's like a middle size culinary school. Like the big one is CIA. That's, you know, Hyde Park. Uh, and they also have a campus out, I think in Yountville. And then you have the other ones in New York, which uh, it was FCI, was it ICA? And those are merging uh, together. Uh, if you go back into the Food News Archives, uh, talk about it a little bit when that came out. I think that was over the summer. And then there's like a handful of others. You have Johnson & Wales, uh, Le Cordon Bleu, but that's no longer around. Um trying to think what else there's and a couple like random ones you know each city kind of has a culinary institute you know there's one in uh pittsburgh i think columbus here has has one technically though i I don't think it's like highly regarded or anything but i'm sure there's a lot of local chefs that have have gone through it so he went to this one out in portland um which there's a few other chefs that have gone uh out there too as well uh to that one and he wound up actually graduating in, in 1996, top of his class. Uh, and from there, he went to Pebble Beach, uh, the kind of Pebble Beach, Monterey, California area. And uh, that's like south of San Jose. And he interned for a year at Hubert Keller's uh, Club 19. Uh, it's in Roman numerals, XIX. Um, and then after about a year... Uh, he wound up being the sous chef at uh, this uh, restaurant called Antoine Michel. That was about another year he was there. And then he went to Carmel Valley to be the uh, chef de cuisine there at uh, that restaurant. So in 1999, uh, he went out to Vail Valley in Colorado on just like a vacation, like a trip. And just kind of fell in love with the the Colorado mountains and everything and wound up moving there a year later. Took over as chef de cuisine at uh, this restaurant called Sweet Basil uh, that was in kind of the Vail Valley area in the mountains there. Spent three years there um, running the restaurant essentially. And then uh, he wound up during that time meeting uh, Melissa, whose girlfriend now is his wife um, in that area. And she wound up moving to Denver and he basically followed her and planted a job at uh, Mizuna, which was a uh, Frank Bananos uh, kind of like fine dining restaurant. So he took over as executive chef there. He was there for about five years. Uh, and then in 2007, he started his own restaurant, which is the first one, Fruition, there. Uh, that's in the Cap Hill neighborhood. And the whole thing about that was focusing on uh, approachable food, but also still delicious and like not a pretentious or too upscale kind of stuffy environment. And so that wound up opening, uh, I think February, 2008 and pretty much was like a hit right away. Um, you know, top 10 new restaurant by gayat.com, one of the 25 best new restaurants, um, by five, two, eight, zero magazine, which is a local publication, Colorado publication, um, and it was also named the best restaurant in Colorado by Zagat, which is kind of like Zagat is like the in a way it's kind of like the minor league guidebook compared to like the Michelin guidebook. Um, 
So the Gats in like all major cities, but it's in the U.S. I think they actually have international guides too as well. But it's just it's just a step down. Like it's not as highly regarded as some of the other kind of review awards bodies, anything like that. It's just that yeah, it's just that like next layer down. It's probably closer to like a was it like a Lonely Planet? Is that the travel guidebook? Fodor. Kind of in that vein, but mostly just about, um, you know, primarily about res- restaurants. It's I equate it to like a trip advisor almost. Like at times it's useful, but at other times there's just so much information going on. You can't really trust it. I don't know. That's where, I, that's where I'd put it. But yeah, so um, 2008 pretty much started uh, getting nominations from the James Beard Foundation for uh, fruition. I think he got like eight consecutive for the best chef Southwest category. And then, um, you know, was named one of the 10 semifinalists for the best new restaurant award. And I think 2008 and it was named, you know, chef, he was named chef of the year by five, uh, 5280 magazine, uh, that same year towards the end of 2008. So, you know, it's still a big deal in kind of the, the Denver circle. Um, eventually, you know, he wound up um, purchasing a 10 acre farm in Larkspur and he started fruition farm. So basically the whole goal of that farm was to exclusively supply his restaurant with ingredients. So he could kind of control the quality of everything, what's being grown, um, keep it sustainable, but ethical too as well. And this is, you know, back in, in 2008, 2009. So this is, he's right at the forefront of kind of this movement uh, it hasn't really grabbed hold yet. Kind of, you know, you're coming out of the recession a little bit and the whole farm to table thing doesn't really kick off until I feel like about 2012 is when it really kind of comes into the forefront. So he's early on this and, you know, he basically was like raising uh dairy sheep uh, and that became a kind of like a cheese creamery that he started uh, two as well. I mean, heritage, uh, black hogs, Italian honeybees, chickens, fruit, vegetable garden, everything, you know, that you would want to supply a restaurant with ingredients he kind of had there. So, um, 2010 food and wine magazine, um, you know, named him the, the year's best new chef 2011, the restaurant fruition there, uh, or the Farm, I should say, Fruition Farm took home first place at the American Cheese Society uh, Awards. I guess it's kind of like a cheese convention and, you know, like with almost anything, beer, um, wine, anything. Basically, there's a there's a convention for it, seems like these days, took home first place. And, you know, roughly around that time, you know, the restaurant had been around for a couple years, got all these accolades. You know, he was getting them too as well, and he started looking for a way to kind of grow and, and help kind of elevate the staff too, as well. They were looking for growth opportunities. So decided to open a second restaurant, which is mercantile dining provision that opened, uh, October, 2014. And they were renovating the union station, um, building. So that's kind of how he got in there and, and wound up basically being an entirely new space that he was able to, to redo himself and, and kind of control. Um, and this allowed him to give, you know, more responsibilities to the staff that had been with him for so long, take care of them, give them raises, give them new responsibilities. 
and uh, and bring on more people and and also take the existing people that were already involved and move them up to different positions too as well. So um, Matt Vodder, who was basically the chef de cuisine at Fruition, uh, became like a minority partner in Mercantile and was the executive chef for several years. He actually just recently announced that he was leaving to start his own small restaurant back up in the mountains. Um, so he's no longer involved, but he was involved for several years. Um, but the way Mercantile is kind of set up, it's, it's a bunch of different things. So you have your standard dining room uh, over to the right side when you enter. There's an outdoor patio area too as well in front. In the back right-hand corner, you have a private dining room uh, for big groups. In the left front on the inside is kind of this market area where they have cheese, charcuterie, a bunch of different products from the farm and, and kind of some local stuff too as well. There's a bar counter um, too that's part of that market area. And then behind that bar counter is a chef's uh, tasting counter, which is like a handful of seats in the back that runs along there. So he's got a bunch of different concepts kind of all mashed into one. Uh, it's really ingenious, especially when you consider the pandemic, coronavirus and everything, how, you know, he shut down um, for a while the the dining room, you know, and the, the chef's counter and the patio and everything. But he kept the market open, so they were doing to-go stuff. And then once they were allowed to do outdoor dining and it felt safe, they started doing, you know, utilizing the patio and, and slowly reopening. But they were never fully, like, shut down um, at mercantile so there's always a a revenue stream you know because he's so diversified within the, just that one space so really ingenious even though you know nobody could have saw the pandemic really coming but um it's really cool to just you kind of see his kind of business acumen at work almost and, and it makes a lot of sense when you hear him talk i mean he doesn't do a whole lot of press there he did pop up on a podcast uh i think it was like a local radio Denver one, um, kind of back May, June. And they were talking about, you know, reopening restaurants, coronavirus and stuff. And he was like, we're not going to be one of the first places to reopen for indoor dining. We're going to wait, um, see, we've kind of figured out how to schedule everything with running through the rest of the year. And, you know, they were doing to go and that was supplementing, but you know, with most restaurants to go is not the, the end all be all. So that's a really good podcast. If you can find it, check it out. I wish I remember the name of the, the radio the radio station there. But if you Google like Alex Seidel Denver podcast, he should come up. Uh, you shouldn't have to go past the first page on like a Google search for that. But, um, so basically he wound up, he get nominated, uh, and then 2016 was kind of the last time he was nominated for his work at fruition and his nomination shifted over to mercantile because he was spending more time there. And, you know, he eventually won the, the award outright in 2018. Um, he partnered with uh, Vodder again, who was kind of running stuff at uh, Fruition and, and later Mercantile too. And they partnered with uh, Keegan Gerhard and Lisa Bailey, uh, who were the chefs at D-Bar. And they started Fud Mill, which is like a artisan pastry company. So they were able to start that kind of other business and then they were providing breads and pastries to all their restaurants that they owned. Uh, local, Other local restaurants too and then they even had some in uh, local food 
uh, whole foods markets in the area. So it was kind of better quality, better tasting, everything kept in house, done handmade and local, um, was kind of the, the avenue for that too. So like I said, well diversified, um, he, he wound up stepping down from uh, mercantile kind of um, spring of 2019, kind of towards the end of May. And he wanted to basically redistribute his time across all of his restaurants. So Matt Vauder was formally promoted to the executive chef role. Um, and then kind of everybody was able to kind of move up and, and there's also plans announced to open a second mercantile, um, location inside the Denver airport somewhere in the concourse a, uh, it was supposed to open this year. And then, um, this year, like I said, he had the shook charcoal kitchen. Uh, they're going to open a third location of that next year, 2021 in Stanley marketplace, which is like Denver's, you know, farmer's market, essentially, um, pretty much every city has one. So Unfortunately, though, you know, he did have to lay off a bunch of workers. Uh, he, I think he laid off 160 employees across all three of his restaurant concepts. Um, each employee, though, and he was talking about this kind of on the podcast, each laid off employee got a handwritten letter, uh, directions on how to navigate the unemployment filing process at the time. He kept 17 salary managers on, uh, even though they are the most expensive people. Uh, it was a way to invest in the nucleus of, of the teams at each restaurant. And then um, he basically closed everything for two days and gathered together all the remaining employees, created uh, different programs to help feed those that were laid off, the community that, you know, anybody who's struggling in the community, frontline workers too at the hospital. They wound up uh, delivering almost like 400 meals per week to the local area hospitals through feed the front lines initiative. And that kind of gave everybody purpose instead of just sitting at home, they were actually, you know, out doing something they were cooking, you know, even though it was kind of toned down versions of, of what they do. Cause you're making to go food and stuff like that. Uh, it still, you know, helped them kind of pass the time in the middle of the pandemic. So, um, you know, they, like I mentioned earlier, you know, for fruition is going to continue to do takeout through the rest of this, this year, essentially 2020. Um, and then there, you know, he kind of discussed, you know, doing like a, uh, like, uh, what should I call it? Um, lunch program. That's it. Uh, eventually once they kind of reopen for, for dine-in too. So, you know, He's a pretty interesting guy. There's a bio on the page um, about Matt Vauder too as well um, is up there just because he's, you know, the former executive chef there. Um, so make sure to check that out too as well. He's going to start his own restaurant, so that would be pretty cool to see. You know, once that uh, – he's trying to get that open, I think, according to the article by the, the end of the year. So – and then I got a course breakdown. So – the reason I kind of chose mercantile when I went to Denver, this was during a bachelor party trip, um, before I got married and Denver was just a place that everybody was coming from a different location. A couple of us were coming from Columbus, but then I had a buddy who was coming from Ben actually was coming from South Carolina. And then my other friend Garrett was coming from Wisconsin. So didn't want to do anything local in Columbus. Um, and then we were just trying to trying to figure out like a cool place to go that was 
kind of everybody could get a direct flight. And it was also, you know, not ridiculously expensive on getting that flight. And Denver wound up kind of being the best option. And, um, you know, didn't really make too many restaurant res- reservations um, since it was a mixed mixed group. And uh, this was one of them. And then we also ate at Senior Bear, which is kind of this um, Latin American style restaurant. But their menu doesn't change that much. But the churros that they had were uh, fantastic at Senior Bear. So I encourage anybody to dine there if you're going to Denver for the first time. Um, but Mercantile was kind of definitely the one that was most interested in. Went there. Um, you know, we got, uh, I think there was... Yeah, I mean, all of us at a big round table. We got um, just kind of like a charcuterie board. And they call it a market provisions platter, but it's got cheese. It's got, you know, pickles, vegetables, meats, spreads, you know, jams, honeys, like all this stuff. Um, Garrett, when he got up to uh, use the restroom, he was he walked by around like the backside of the bar area and he saw like uh, the Iberico ham like on a not a spit, um, but it's just kind of on this horizontal stand and that's what they, they secure it in and then they kind of shave it off. So he saw that. We didn't even know that was back there. Um, so we, we asked about that and and we got uh, a plate of that brought out. Um, and that was fantastic. And then, um, at the time I was super into octopus. I mean, I still love octopus. It's just hard to find places that kind of do it right. Um, and we were going through the menu trying to figure out like what everybody wanted to do and whatnot. Katie actually ordered a, a glass of wine uh, in advance or a bottle of wine in advance um, that they brought over to the table that I didn't know about. So she surprised me with that. And then um, me, Ben and Garrett all wound up getting uh, the paella. And that is a sizable dish. Um, I think it's, you know, for like four to six people. And we just said F it kind of went in Rome. Um, it was fantastic. The paella was, but I still wanted my octopus. So I ordered that as like a makeshift appetizer because <laughs> I didn't care. It just kind of, you're there and it's just like, whatever. Um, so you just kind of splurge and we wound up eating a good portion of the paella. And then my other two buddies, Kevin and Kyle chipped in too, as well towards the end. Um, but it took like the paella, I think it was like 45 minutes for them to do. And we were just like, I don't, they don't get like a whole lot of people that order it. I don't think just because it's such a big group. And then, you know, that's like the only thing that you're ordering. And I'm sure they looked at this kind of crazy. Like when we put it in there, like you're going to order that, but you also ordered like this other stuff and it takes 40. And we're just like, yeah, we don't have anywhere to be, man. Like this is it for the end of the night. So yeah, we'll wait an hour. We don't really care. Um, the paella was fantastic. I, I It was really good. It just sucks that like it's kind of one of those things that I'll always remember eating and I'll always want to eat again. But chances of me being in a setting where like there's enough people at this same like at this restaurant that can do it well and to have like six people again all ready to just kind of chip in. Um, yeah, it's going to be kind of few and far between. So it'd be tough to kind of find a place to to recreate that scenario. But Katie even went uh, to the restaurant um, when she went on a trip to Denver with a friend of hers, they went there and ate there. I don't, I don't remember what she actually ordered. I don't think she ever talked about it. She definitely didn't take any pictures. Um, 
but she wound up eating there just because like I had such high praise for it. I was like, yeah, this is, you know, definitely a place that, and it's not super like expensive either as well. I mean, the paella is, but that's because of the ingredients and mainly because of the saffron, because it's so hard to get saffron, um, to incorporate in there and also feeds like four to six people. So like, yeah, that's why it's, you know, 85, $90 or whatever. It's like, cause it's going to feed the whole table. Like it's not that big of a deal when you start splitting it up amongst, you know, everybody it's like, okay. Um, so yeah, she wound up eating there. She had nothing but good things to say too, as well. Um, from what I remember that was, I think she went there last year. It's like the fall of 2019. She went out there. So, um, check all that stuff out. I would say, like I said, I mean, the paella is just something that I can't recreate. Um, I remember this one time, I think it was when we were in Hawaii is before we got married, but like everybody did, um, throw to Hana who was there. We kind of all had just a big car caravan at the time. It was like one of the first things that we did. And we st- I can't remember the name of the restaurant. Um, but it was kind of on that side of, of Maui, uh, on, if you're looking at a map on the East side, kind of, and Southeast side, kind of where all the resorts are. There's basically two spots there. And then like the Northwest side, we were actually staying in the Northwest side, but the road to Hana runs, uh, the East side of the Island on the outskirts. So we wound up getting a restaurant there when we were coming back, uh, and made reservations. I wish I could remember the name of it. It was actually one of the places that kind of came up for, um, for like, if you were going to do a rehearsal dinner or like, if you were going to get married on that side of the island that you could have kind of your wedding party at for, for dinner. So, cause that's what we kept a small wedding and we wound up eating there. And I remember Ben, um, I don't remember if he ordered the paella that they had on there, but he was looking at it and I, just, I had to stop him cause he was like chasing it. And I was like, dude, that's not going to be the same thing that we had in Denver. Like it's not even going to be close. Like, don't, don't think, you know, that it's going to be, that like you're going to be able to recreate it. But even, you know, six months later, like he saw paella on the, on the menu and is like, his eyes kind of lit up and I had to talk him out of it. So, um, which that's just kind of like a cool story, but yeah, it's a great restaurant. Um, I don't know, you know, who's going to be the executive chef now. They haven't really announced that. I, I think Seidel's kind of in there, um, right now doing stuff and they'll name, they have a bunch of different, I think they have like four sous chefs, so it'll probably be a, a joint venture. Maybe one of them will get promoted or it'll just kind of be like co-executive chefs or something. Who knows? But uh, they'll make a an announcement down the road, but definitely check out their website and their Instagram and it's mercantile dining and, which the and is the ampersand, provision, not provisions. Um, that's kind of the, the common misconception with the name there. But uh, it's just mercantile. You can check that out. Alex Seidel has an Instagram. Uh, it's at Big Seidel. So you can check his Instagram out too as well. Fruition and, and Shook, um, C-H-O-O-K is the chicken place. But check all that stuff out. Uh, check out the Spoon Mob page on the website there. Got a breakdown of the courses. Uh, definitely a place I would go back to when going back to Denver. I do plan on going back to Denver. Um Definitely want to go to Coors Field. And there's a few other restaurants there too as well that I want to check out. Um, So yeah, definitely we'll be going back. And plus like Red Rocks, like we didn't do Red Rocks, uh, the amphitheater up there. So a bunch of different stuff still to to check out going back to Denver. So looking forward to uh, 
to getting back out there hopefully in 2021. But um, check out all that stuff. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast from. We're pretty much on all major outlets. I think the only one not on is Pandora. Um, follow along on the Instagram account. Uh, check out other past episodes of the podcast and the parts now known uh, with Ben. And um, appreciate everybody listening and help spread the word and continuing to do so. And we'll uh, we'll talk to you guys next week.